All right. If you have your Bibles, I'd like for you to go with me to the book of Genesis chapter 6. Starting with verse 6. And the Lord was sorry. You know, if you stop there, I mean, nobody really thinks about that, do they? We think about the Lord being majestic. We think about him being powerful. We think about him being all-knowing. But here it says the Lord was sorry. And there's a specific reason he's sorry. He's sorry that he made man on the earth. And he was grieved in his heart. How many of you have ever been grieved in your heart before? You, you understand what I'm talking about? I'm talking about an emotion that seizes you. So the world had come to a place that God never intended for it to come. He was sorry that man had gone there, and it grieved him in his heart. And so the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I've created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping things, birds of the air, for I'm sorry I've made them. So there's a time and a place where God says, you know what? I'm wiping out the earth. And it's hard for us to relate to because we don't think about that, right? How many of you have ever read the end of the book? Amen. And see, sometimes we, we live our lives like this earth is just going to go on forever and ever. But according to Scripture, there's going to come a purging of the earth again. That's time not with water, but with fire. Now, and, and if, if I stop right here, everybody's going to go home and say, man, that's the most depressing preacher I've ever heard in my life. But it's that last verse that changes everything. And that last verse said, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Somebody say grace. grace. Now, I, man, we, I mean, we talk about grace for you're saved by grace not by works lest any man should boast it's it's the grace of God everybody say the grace of God and we get that right Amen. but this is the Old Testament Jesus has not come yet and in the gospel it says that grace and truth came by Jesus Christ so here's a guy that found grace before Jesus brought it so the question is that I have is how and why. How did Noah find grace before Christ had come at Calvary's cross and paid a price for it? Why does he find grace? The answer, and the answer to this question is really important, right? Because had Noah not found grace, none of us are here. And so when you look at verse 9 in Genesis 6, it says, this is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. This verse tells the how and the why. There are four words I want to focus on in this verse. It's just, perfect, 
generations and walked. So Noah was a just man. The word just here in Hebrew means lawful or righteous. Now, how many of you know that our righteousness is like filthy rags? So when we say righteous here, what's it speaking about? It's not that Noah hasn't sinned because the Bible said all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So what is it about righteous and lawful? Let me focus on lawful for a moment because he's a lawful man when there is no law. Ten Commandments hasn't been written yet. Moses hasn't existed yet. No law has been communicated to man from God. Then what, what is he lawful about? What law is he following? You see, I believe that when God creates us, he writes a law in our hearts. And that law that's written in our hearts is what causes us to, when I say righteous, to do the right thing. How many of you have ever done something and you knew it was wrong when you were doing it? And you did it anyway, right? But here, and, and, and please keep this in context, Noah is surrounded by a people that are filled with evil. As a matter of fact, the Bible described this people as their imagination was evil continually. They didn't have the ability to think a right thought. You ever hang around somebody that you thought were bordering on the line of... I had a guy work behind me one time. I won't call his name in case he's watching. I love you, man. <laughs> man, you talk about... A river runs through it. It was a sewer. And the only thing I heard out of his mouth all day long was profanity. Continual profanity. And I don't know about you, but if I hear that all day long, it starts getting next to me. And so I'd gone up till about noontime hearing all this stuff. And I finally turned around, I almost called his name. I finally turned around, I looked at him, and I called his name. And I said, man, I said, what are you doing? Nobody wants to hear that. He looked at me kind of funny. I said, do you not have the ability to speak something other than this? Why do you do this? Nobody likes hearing that. I don't want to hear that, okay? You'd have thought I cussed him out. <laughs> The way he looked at me. But see, here's the deal. It's when all of a sudden you live your life in a way where there are no checks, there's no balances, there's no law that's communicating to you because you have turned your ear against it. You've turned your heart away from God. And now the only thing that's left is yourself and Satan. And it had taken the world down a drain and God said, I'm tired of it. And here's Noah in the midst of all this, still doing what's right. <laughs> you know, we like to do what's right, don't we? When somebody notices it. <laughs> do you see what I did? And bam, when nobody sees what we did, well, we can't help but tell it. Just wanted you, you know... How was your week? Oh, well, that's great. You know, let me tell you what happened this week. I mean, I did something really good. I, 
We want people to take notice of it. But here's Noah doing what's right when nobody even cares. If anything, if they take notice of it, it's to ridicule him for it. So the word just, lawful and right, and the next word says that he was perfect man in his generations. The word perfect there means to walk in truth and integrity. How many of us know what the truth is? Yeah, yeah we think we do, right? We, we think we know the truth, but can I share with you how twisted society has become? Because we don't even know the truth of our biological birth anymore. We're, we're, we, we, we don't even know. Uh, this, is, this is the truth. I heard it with my own ears, saw it on YouTube, so you know it's got to be right. <laughs> a teacher in a public school is saying, well, what I do with my children is I get them together and I tell them, look, when you were born, the doctor, you know, he looked at you and he, he took his best guess at whether you were male or female and wrote that. Can I tell you, if that's, I'm not going to that doctor. I mean, if that doctor can't, can't tell the difference between a boy and a girl, I am not going to that doctor. And so, truth. Pilate made a statement in his generation and said, what is truth? Jesus said he came to bear testimony to the truth. He declares, I am the truth, the way, and the life. He was a just man and perfect. He walked in truth and integrity. That's what the word perfect means, to walk in truth and integrity. Can I give you a definition of integrity? It's to do what's right when no one else is looking. When nobody else is looking to do what's right. When you have integrity in your heart. Does it mean that Noah did no wrong? Scripture said all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But what integrity does is integrity will not allow you to cover up the wrong you've done in your heart. Integrity will take you to the feet of God and ask for forgiveness. Integrity seeks forgiveness when you've done wrong. Even when nobody else knows it, you know that God knows it. And because of the integrity in your heart, you cannot keep it covered. You have to ask God to forgive it. So he's a just man. He's a perfect man in his generations. The word generation there means a revolution of time or age. So like we live in certain ages, right? Now the youth are going all the way back to the 90s. Really? Give me a break, man. I'm thinking, why didn't you do the 50s or the 60s? I mean, my goodness, man, I was in my 
30s and the 90s. What is wrong with you all? The, I, I'm thinking, man, go, oh, we're, we're going back. And they're trying to make me feel like I'm Methuselah. And, and so we, you know, but it's, it's an age. And so for these young whippersnappers, I mean, these young people that, that, you know, were born in the 90s, you know, they think that's ancient. But man, you really don't go back until you, oh, well, never mind. <laughs> so he's walking. He, he, he is a just man, perfect man. In his generation, when his generation was all messed up, he refused to be messed up with them. Oh, come on. Some of you ought to be relating to that. Man, I, I went out. There are some things that did not happen in my life because there was a safeguard in my heart. It wasn't that I hadn't sinned. But there was a safeguard in my heart over some things that I would not do. You say, what are you talking about? Man, drugs was one of them. Why? Well, you never did drugs and I was like seven up. Never had it, never will. What, what are you saying? I'm saying I watched what drugs did to my brother. I watched how it affected my sister. I watched what happened in our home with our father. And I made up my mind, I'll never let that in my house. Here's the deal, is I let something else get in my house. I let hatred come in. See, I felt justified, and I'm not letting drugs in, but I got so angry at what drugs was doing that I was having a Clint Eastwood moment. In my mind, I was thinking, man, when I grow up, I'm going to clean up this neighborhood, and I knew exactly how. Make my day. And, 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 and I didn't realize that in doing that, I was as far away as they were. But here's Noah, that in a world that is spun out of control, he's got something in his heart that won't let him spin out of control. He's got something in his heart that is keeping his relationship with God intact. And he said, you know what? I don't care if everybody else is doing it. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to hold on to God. And because of that, God or Noah found grace. The word grace there means kindness, favor. God looked down. God was sorry, man. He said, I'm wiping everything out. But when he saw Noah, he smiled. Look at that boy down there. Look at everything around him that's going on. And he keeps holding on to me. And so Noah's faith will not only rescue him, but Noah's faith will rescue future generations. Where is our faith at today? Noah would not allow his faith to only focus on himself, but his faith impacted everything around him. Because Noah acted on faith, he saved not just himself, but he saved his sons and their families. Can I leave for you consideration today that your faith is going to outlive you? 
a faith that has an impact on future generations is a type of faith I'm reaching for. It's a kind of relationship I want with God. Not one that just is talking about, God, do you see what I'm going through? God, I need you to do this. I need you to do this. I need you to do this. But one that steps up and says, God, here I am. Use me. God, help me to be able to share with some. And do you get that Noah's faith did not just cause him to build an ark, but Noah's faith called him to preach the gospel for the hundred years he's building the ark? He's not in his own backyard just building that thing saying, oh, wait until the rain comes. They didn't even know what rain was. It had never rained on the earth. The earth was watered by a, a dew that came up out of the ground. There'd never been a raindrop. And Noah is committed to doing something that God instructed him to do that made no sense at all to anyone around him. Don't you think they ridiculed him? Don't you think they mocked him? Don't you think they laughed at him? But Noah just kept building, and he kept preaching. He's saying, I'm begging you. Don't keep going the way you're going. God wants to rescue you. Isn't that a little like where we're at today? Or at least I hope that we're preaching while we're building because Jesus has become our ark faith that impacts future generations. You know what I've discovered is that just because everybody knows what they ought to do doesn't mean they do it. How many of you men know you ought to pick up your clothes when you take them off? Wives, how many of them do it? Raise your hand. You better put that hand up. You, she's the one that said, if you'll just put it in the chair, I'll take care of it. So that's where they're at. They're in that chair, piled up about this high. In that. No, I'm kidding. No, no. And so just because we know what we ought to do doesn't mean that we do it. Now watch this. Time passes. How many of you ever messed up? Wow, look at the hands. How many of you have never messed up? I just want th those people that raise their hands to come up here and repent because you're lying. <laughs> We've all been there, right? We've all messed up. So watch what happens. Noah, as a matter of fact, let me read it to you. Look at Genesis chapter 9, verse 20. And Noah began to be a farmer, and he planted a vineyard. Then he drank of the wine and was drunk and became uncovered in his tent. So here's the man of God that spent 100 years of his life focused on one project. And then after it, and you think, well, what would cause Noah to get to a place like that? Well, stop and think about it. Nobody needs an ark anymore. You know, you spend 100 years of your life focused on one project, getting your family saved, and now all your tools are rusted and the ark's up on a hill parked. And you walk through and you think about all the days and nights that you spent working that thing. And, 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 and now sometimes you can get to a point where you feel like, well, I'm just not useful anymore. Don't drink the wine of discontent. 
Don't drink the wine of delusion and depression. It'll take you a place you don't want to go. Noah finds himself with a bottle pressed against his lips, naked and drunk in his tent. Everybody say his tent. I want you to remember where he's at. He's in his tent. And then all of a sudden something happens. Ham comes in that tent and he sees his father that way. And when Ham came into that tent and saw his father, in verse 22, it says that he saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brethren without. Everybody say told. Do you know what that word means in Hebrew? It means expose. So Ham goes inside his father's tent in a private place, sees his father in a condition that no one else saw, and he goes, and what he saw in a private place, he begins to expose publicly. Wow. Forgets all about his father's faith. Forgets all about the years that he saw his daddy pray cry out to others and to God for his family. The blood and the blisters that were on his hands from building a place that would save them. And he can't wait to run out and tell everybody, expose him to everyone in a public place on the condition he found him in in a private moment. You ever been there? You ever found yourself naked and drunk? I'm not talking about that same way. I'm talking about have you ever done something in your life in a moment of weakness that you didn't want no one to know about? And his own son exposed him. Can I remind you that Noah was in his tent? He wasn't in Ham's tent. He wasn't out in the middle of Main Street. He was in a place all by himself, and he didn't even know that Ham had been in his tent. But Ham goes in and begins to expose it all publicly and tells his two brothers. And let me tell you something about these two boys. Because when, they t when Ham told those two boys, those two boys said, No, sir, I am not going to expose my father in that condition. His faith means too much to me. I remember when he was there for us. I saw him cry out to God. I saw him work relentlessly to make a path of salvation for us. I'm not going to be picked up a cloth and they go in that tent backward and they covered their father oh hear me today God wants somebody that knows how to cover you he wants somebody that knows and remembers what it meant to found grace in the eyes of God what Noah did in a moment I hope you get this God will not judge you in your weakest moment, nor will he reward you 
for your strongest moment. But they that endure to the end, the same shall be saved. I would venture to say if I were to take a poll and if everybody was honest in here today, that each person would be able to communicate a weak moment in their life. And how many of you glad that God didn't judge you in that moment? The act of faith by Shem and Jepheth and the lack of faith by him will end up being passed to future generations. Let me say it one more time. The act of faith by Shem and Jepheth and the lack of faith by him will impact future generations. So this is my word to you. Whatever faith you're communicating right now is going to have an impact on your future generations. How does that all pan out? I, it's not what their father pronounced over them. It's what they acted on that made the difference. I want you to hear that. It's not what Noah said about them that changes generations. It's how they act on their faith that changes generations. Can I tell you in my family line, I have two great-grandfathers that I never met. Now, I've never seen a picture of them. I never heard their voice. I've got no clue what they look like. No letter was left to me. And on one side of my generation, my great-grandfather killed a man. On the other side of my generation, my great-grandfather was a circuit rider preacher. And there was something that was coming down through the eons of time to me. And I felt both of them. I felt the anger, and I felt the power. And all of a sudden, in a moment of time, something happened inside of me that determined which faith I was going to act on. What was I going to become? What was I going to do? And so I had to let go of the anger and grab hold of grace. I let go of the past so I could grab hold of the future. It's a future generation. Time passes. Genesis 11 and 4. And they said, come, let's build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a net. Throw that picture up if you want. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. And so they began to build a tower that's referred to as the Tower of Babel. Did you hear what they said? Let us make a name for ourselves. 
In other words, this is about self-preservation. This has got nothing to do with God. This is all about me. Do you know that the architect or the one that's overseeing this project, what his name is? His name is Nimrod. Do you know who his grandfather is? Ham, the same guy that walked in and exposed his father publicly. So you've got a, a lack of faith being passed to another generation. Let's make a name for ourselves. As a matter of fact, Josephus, the historian, communicated that this is what Nimrod said. He said he would be revenged on God if he should have a mind to drown the world again. For that he would build a tower too high for the waters to be able to reach. And that he would avenge himself on God for destroying their forefathers. That bitterness is passed from one generation to another. That lack of faith has not just walked in through Ham's life, but it's reached over to his grandson's life. As a matter of fact, when Noah spoke concerning Ham, he said, "Cursed be Canaan." The God, or he says, "He says, cursed be Canaan." Let me get to it. <laughs> I hate that when I get going and I can't remember. Everybody, turn around, look at your neighbor, and say, "Help him, God." Here it is, Genesis 9 and 22. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brethren without. Do you, do you see how he's communicating? And Ham, the father of Canaan. Why, why would they say that? Because Canaan represented evil. Canaan is who would end up being the Canaanites would end up being dispossessed and all of their relatives with them. And so what God is communicating is that Ham is giving birth to a rebellious people from his lack of faith. He's the one spearheading this. Going to avenge myself. And God said, I don't think so. God came down and he scattered everyone. And they all spoke different languages. Just food for thought. Historians believe that this happened 340 years after the flood, which means that Noah is still alive when that goes down. Because Noah lived 350 years after the flood. So these, these folks get scattered. Now, the only people on the face of the earth are the descendants of who? Shem, Ham, and Jepheth. Well, what happens to them? Well, if you, if you look and see what Noah said to them after that night, after, after that came to pass, Noah makes this statement over his children, and he says in, in Genesis 9, 26, he said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. He's saying, what's he doing? He's saying, man, Shem, there's something about your faith. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and may Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth, and may he dwell in the tents of Shem. What's he doing? He's saying, Shem, you're blessed. Japheth, 
You're going to dwell in the tents of Shem and you're going to be enlarged. You're going to grow and grow. Do you know that when that dispersion takes place, that there are peoples that end up in different places? If you read passages before that, you find out where these folks had gathered. That Ham's descendants gather in one place and they had their own nation and language. That all of a sudden Shem's relatives, which end up becoming the Jews, gather in another place and they have their own nation. And Can I tell you that faith has its own way of communicating? They have their own language. And Japheth, which ends up being the Gentiles, everybody turn around and look at your neighbor and say, hey, that's you. He said, they wind up in another place and they have their own nation and languages. So we know what happened to him. But what about Shem's descendants? Well, time keeps passing on and all of a sudden, you know, and it's not like that these guys are all, you know, out there worshiping God. As a matter of fact, they got away from God. And then all of a sudden, the guy comes up and his name is Abraham. And when Abraham is 75 years old and he is, he is the relative of Shem, all of a sudden, God speaks to Abraham in Genesis 12 and says, Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house to a land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in all the families of the earth, you shall be blessed. What's he doing He's saying there was some faith that was communicated by your father that covered his father. So I'm going to reach out and cover you. And he become Abram becomes Abraham who becomes the what? The father of faith. Everybody say future generations. See, if we're not careful, we live for the moment, and we live for the hour, and we forget that our lives can have a powerful impact on lives that will exist long after we're gone. He told Abraham, he takes Abraham out and he shows him the, all the sand on the seashore. And he said, I'm going to, you're not, uh, that's how your descendants are going to be. Uh, they're going to be without number. Look up in the stars of the sky. That's what your descendants are going to be like. Abraham dies, I believe he's 175 when he dies. And when he dies, do you know who his descendants are? Isaac, Esau, and Jacob. That's a long way from all that sand. That's a long way from all those stars. But you know what? Hebrews talks about his faith. And he said that he walked in faith. And he said, I'm looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. What's he saying? This isn't going to end with me. My faith is going to reach to future generations. When they lay my body in the ground and they cover me over, my prayer is that they hear my faith, that generations that come after me will know that great, great, great grandpa was alive for God, that he found something in Jesus that was worth hanging on to don't let your faith die with you let it come alive to others let it be implanted in the hearts of generations to come 
Abraham realized this is going to reach far beyond me. He also knew there were going to be some bumps in the road. God had showed him here, your seed's going to spend 400 years, man, in slavery. Say what? Oh, God, if that's the way it's going to be. Isn't that what we do? Hey, I love you, God. I love you, God. Well, I love you too, honey. And there's some stuff getting ready to come your way that I want to prepare. What? Stuff coming my way? You mean I'm going to have to go through that? And I thought you loved me. <laughs> How many of you ever have to do dirty laundry? And I thought you loved me. You mean to tell me that after you wear your clothes, they get dirty? What's that mean? Thank you. <laughs> it means the people getting inside of them got a little bit of dirty on them. I love socks, new socks. But after they've been on my feet for about two weeks, no, I don't. I, I, I change them every week whether I need to or not. <laughs> I had my, something happened to my son's feet once upon a time. I don't know what it was going on. It looked like he had jungle rot, really, on his foot. Man, he'd take his shoe off and he'd run you out of the house. It was like, oh, what'd you do? I, I threw him out. I said, you stay out of here till you get your feet straightened up. No, I didn't do that. Don't anybody run out of here right now. And I hope that didn't stop broadcasting or I'm in trouble. We stayed with him and figured out what was wrong so we could fix it. For God so loved the world. Wait a minute, man. Is this the same God? that destroyed the world with a flood? Is this the same God that's going to purge the world with fire? Yeah. That same God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It's 340 years and they're messed up again. And God said, I'm not going to give up on you. I'm not going to throw you away. I'm going to make a way so you can find grace in the eyes of the Lord too. And then it, oh man, I'm, oh, it's hard to stay where I'm supposed to be right now. But can I tell you that Abraham gives birth to the, the, the son or Abraham gives birth to Isaac and Isaac has Jacob, Jacob has Judah, and Judah has David, and all of a sudden David is saying, I want to build God a house. And God said, can I just give you the Reader's Digest version? God says, David, you, you want to build me a house? Son, let me tell you, you're not going to build me a house, but I'm going to build you one. And the one I build you is going to last forever. There's going to be a king set on your throne forever. And for years after David is dead and gone, God keeps reminding his descendants about their father's, David's faith. He said, you didn't have faith like your father David had. Or he said, you've held on to faith like your father David had. What's he doing? He's saying, David's faith is alive and well in my presence. And it's impacting future generations. Somebody shout yes. 
Oh, I got to get down here, man. Hang on. Stay with me. I'm almost there. Here we are. Matthew 1 and 1. Are you ready for this? Grab somebody and hang on. You ready? Hold on. Grab somebody or I'm going to come out there and grab you. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Are you ready? You ready? Now, now, I say this when we watch, watch. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Nobody's excited yet. <laughs> the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, <laughs> the son of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Adam, the son of God. Oh, you, you, you need to hear what I'm saying, uh, that the faith, uh, the faith that Noah had uh, impacted future generations. Uh, it got passed to his son Shem, uh, passed it to Abraham, passed it to David, and it came to Christ who passed it. Thank you. Right here. Somebody say, he passed it to me. Now, you can have your part, but you're not getting mine. <laughs> Everybody say, there's enough to go around. What do, you, what do you mean he passed it to you? Did you read Paul's writing where all of a sudden Paul says, hey, you've been made a joint heir with Christ. <laughs> oh, no, hold it, hold it, hold it. Don't get excited yet because you're not Jewish. What happened with that? He said, whereby we cry out. <laughs> Abba, Father, we, we've been adopted. Do huh? so you know what that means? You, know, you can't choose the child that comes in your belly. But you choose the one that comes in your heart. He adopted us. And we cry out, Abba, Father. You, what did it say? You're not a slave anymore. You're not bound anymore. I rescued you. And now you can find grace in the eyes of the Lord. Because grace comes by Jesus Christ. So this is, this is what I want. I want my faith to have an impact on people long after I'm gone. You know, I watched some, I, I watched some preaching online from guys that are already dead and their faith is still impacting me. I've listened to A.A. A. Allen. I've listened to William Branham. I've read Wigglesworth. When I read about their acts of faith, it ignites something in my heart because God, you're the same yesterday today and forever. So I want my faith to have an impact on those that come after me. Somebody say future generations. And you may be saying here, but wait a minute, wait, wait, wait. I don't have, I don't have any children of my own. So, you know, how, who am I going to pass it to? Do you realize that the apostle Paul had no physical children? Of his own, but listen to what he writes in Corinthians 4 14. I do not write these things to shame you, 
but as my beloved children. <laughs> He's saying, I, I'm not, I, I'm writing to you as my beloved children. Listen to what he says. I warn you, for though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. I, and so here's Timothy that's going on and hanging on. Timothy, that Paul wasn't his father in the flesh, but he was his father in the spirit. And he remembers what Paul writes to him. He said, study to show yourself approved. Do the work of an evangelist. Make full proof of your ministry. And Paul's words live inside this young man's head and his heart long after Paul's gone. Can I tell you that Paul's words live in my head and in my heart and his faith has impacted me. And I remember his words saying, I fear lest after having preached to others, I myself should become a castaway. God, help me remember this is more than about me here and now. Give me a faith that will impact future generations. Would you come? man's name was Paul. Paul's brother gave him a brand new car for Christmas. Paul was driving it and a little boy out on the street looked like he'd been scavenging on the street. He walked up and man he was staring at Paul's car it was sharp it was nice sparkling paint job man brand new leather and that little boy looked at it and said is that your car he said yes son it is he said my brother gave it to me for Christmas he said what you mean your brother gave that to you you didn't have to pay anything for it he said that's right and he said, I wish I had. And Paul thought he knew what he was going to say. Paul thought the little boy would say, I wish I had a brother like that. But what the little boy said stopped Paul in his tracks. And the little boy said, I wish I could be a brother like that. What was he saying? He's saying, I wish I could give something that would have an impact on my brother's life. He looked at the little boy and he said, you want to go for a ride? And he said, yeah. And he, he jumped in there and the young man climbed in and, and he said, hey, could you, could you take me by my house? And he said, sure. He told him where he lived, and he started down there. And Paul thought that the little boy wants to go down and show all of his friends this big car he's riding in. And as he drove down that street, he said, pull, pull over here, right here at this curb by this house. And 
when he pulled over, a little boy jumped out and went running into the house. And Paul's standing there wondering what's happening. And all of a sudden, here comes the little boy carrying his baby brother that's crippled in his arms. And he set him down on the steps. And he said, that's it. That's what I was telling you about. His brother gave it to him. He didn't have to pay a penny for it. His brother gave it to him. He said, one day, I'm going to get a car like that, and I'm going to take you, and we're going to ride, and I'm going to show you all the Christmas lights I've been telling you about and how beautiful everything is that I've been talking to you about. And when Paul heard that, he got out of the car, and he walked over, and he picked up that boy and took him and set him in the seat of his car, and his brother crawled in. And that night, uh, all night long, he drove them around showing them all the beauty uh, and all the sights of Christmas. And Paul let them out with a changed heart, understanding it's not about what I get in life that makes the difference. It's about what I can give. Would you stand with me today? Faith. substance of things hoped for, evidence of things not seen. We cry out to God, give me more faith. But God said, His Word said that to every man has been dealt measure of faith. So I discovered something about faith. It's, it's not really about how much I got. It's about how, whether or not I use it. What I found out, I found out if I go to the gym and I curl weights that hurt my arms, it makes my arms bigger. I know I got somebody say fat's where it's at. But I promise you, on my legs, you can't find enough fat on my leg. Thank you. That's my amen corner. You can't find enough fat on my leg to flavor a pot of green beans. See, because I ran on an elliptical for years, and my legs are so... I thought, man, if I could... God, could you transfer that up here? See, it's not about what you got. It's about how you exercise it. Help me, God, to exercise my faith in a way that will impact future generations. Come on, give my hand clap of praise in this house. If you're in here today and you say, Pastor, I, you know, I, I, sometimes I feel like I'm lacking a little bit. Now, I, I want you to hear what I'm going to say so we understand each other. Because, see, when you feel like you're lacking and you're asking God for faith, he's going to give you the opportunity to exercise it. 
We say, well, then I'm not, I'm not praying for nothing because I don't want to have to exercise. That comes with its own reward. Debbie's dad stopped living long before his heart quit. He had a fall. He was out walking and he took a fall. The next five years of his life was spent from a chair to a bedroom, walking. And I told Debbie, I said, I would have died a long time ago if that had been the extent of my world. I can't live trapped like that. So even though it's a risk of I might fall, I believe that God can get me up again. <laughs> even though it may be a risk that I'm not sure of what's going to happen, I believe that God can take care of it. Isn't everything you do in your life a risk when you crawl in that car? If you're studying statistics, you'd be climbing in an airplane to fly to work. Even though it's just down the road. This isn't about statistics. I can't even talk anymore. This isn't about statistics. It's about faith. And it's about making up your mind that I, I want my life to be more than just about me. Help me live in a way that'll cause other people to say, you know what? I want faith like that. So if you're in this building today and you say, Pastor, I, I want God to increase my faith. And how many of you know we all need our faith increased? Then I want you to come to the front of this building with me right now, very quickly, just very quickly as they sing this song. Promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness. Your faithfulness. I'm still in your hands. This is my confidence. your hands to heaven I'm going to share this with you and we're going to pray this week Debbie did a broadcast I encourage you to go see it if you haven't it was with a young man named Nicholas Nicholas had a fell off of a roof and shattered his leg his bone was sticking out of it and and it's it's been a long process of healing he went to what was the place he went to the country he went to another country El Salvador. He went to El, Sal El Salvador with a missionary, and people were coming up front for prayer. And he said, a, a young boy came up, and he said his eye was all infected. It was all red and murky looking. And Nicholas said, and I, you know, I, I laid my hands on him, you know, praying for him. He said, when I took my eyes or my hands off him, he said his eye was completely clear. He said, man, he said, it, it, he said, man, I kind of like jumped back and thought, whoa, what? Well, do you understand? Faith isn't about confidence in yourself. It's about confidence in God. And can I tell you that when he exercised the faith he had and he saw the result of it, he's ready to lay hands on everybody. <laughs> 
That's, that's what I'm talking about. Don't, don't hold back. Don't, don't give up just because you may feel weak in faith. Exercise the faith you have. And get ready because I'm going to pump you up. God is going to strengthen you. He's going to invigorate you. Are you ready? Stretch your hands to heaven right now. I'm going to come by and I'm going to lay my hands on you. I'm just, I'm, I need some guys to hang with me here. And all I'm doing is I'm coming in agreement with your faith. Step to, step this way. Step this way. You got you. Raise those hands to heaven. You believe he's a big God? He's able, isn't he? God, I just ask that you let her faith. Lord, have an impact on those that are around the I think that God right now. That you're using I'll her. see you do it again. God's got some good things in store for you. Just believe. And even when you can't see how it's going to unfold, 
just believe. There have been times in my life where I had to say, God, I don't know how you're going to do it, but I know you're going to do it. Say it with me. He's going to do it. I give you praise for it. that's a beautiful floor but it's not finished yet see there's going to be a high gloss that goes on that it's going to make it tough God's not finished with me yet he's causing he's going he's getting ready to shellac my life with another coat of faith and what that faith does is it makes you tough so when storms come it's just bouncing off of you because you are storm ready how many of you feel like you've been through a storm I just give God a hand clap of praise because you made it through <laughs> You're still here. You're still alive. He still loves you. And the best, my friend, is still yet to come. We love you today. God bless you.